Word Matters is my new series. In it, I chat with people that I admire. I ask them to identify one word that matters most to them. It's a simple ask, but not an easy answer, as on average, we know 40,000 words. I then ask my guests why. How's that word influenced them, inspired them, helped them make choices, and a focus on where they're going next? Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters, a platform populated by podcasts, video, and posts, and presented by RBC. In here, we cut through the chaos and confusion to focus on what matters most to you, and to then uncover the life lessons that can help all of us get to where we need and deserve to go. Today on Life Matters, I'll be chatting with Dimple Mukherjee. Her quest is one many of us can relate to. Life's journey isn't perfectly paved or skipped through a park. We have roadblocks we have to overcome, we have dark tunnels to crawl through, rivers to traverse. And at times you feel abandoned and alone, helpless, even shamed. But when you keep moving, when you find support, you find an ability to share, well, that's when life rewards you with a sense of purpose, a sense of pursuit. In the case of Dimple Mukherjee, that purpose is to be a guide to help others find their way. Dimple, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. It's so nice to be here with you. If you had one word that matters most to you, what would it be? Yeah, Tony, I had to um, really consider that. And if you see my website, you know I love words and I'm so glad we connected through it because that's one of the powers of having a word that you value and love. So for me, I've been calling it a word for six years and I have to say that out of all the words that I've called in, command is my favorite word so far. And it was a word that I picked for 2020 not knowing at all what we were about to encounter. So it served me in many ways. So why is that word so important to you? Originally, when I picked the word command as my word for 2020, the intention was for me to command presence. And self-doubt is something that I've been struggling with almost all my life. And it was a way for me to really honor who I am today, to trust myself and to really bring forth into the world the unique gifts that I have because I believe that we all have unique gifts. So command really allowed me to command presence and get through those blocks. So on the surface, it sounds right, sounded like a very arrogant kind of word to, to pick, but for me, it was about commanding presence. So I want to pick up on something you said for most of my life. And I, th- I find a lot of who we are is really what happened in the early stages of our life. Now, you you were born in Mumbai, but you spent a lot of your first 12 years in Taipei and Taiwan, and you talk about it being a very carefree time. Tell us a little bit about those first 12 years. Yeah, if you could see me right now, you'd see I've completely lit up. My first 12 years, my formative years in Taiwan, were very carefree in the sense that I think it's a great place to grow up as a child. I felt really safe and secure in that environment. Uh, The community was one that was very strong and I didn't at all feel different. Even though I was Indian in a community of Asians, I really didn't get that feeling of being different from others. It was a real sense of community and safety and security. something happens though where that sense of community and feeling like you belong changes and that's when your parents moved to Canada. That's right. 
So tell me a little bit about that. What was it like to kind of leave everything you knew and loved and to head off into this country that you probably perception was, was just covered in ice 365 days a year? In one word, it was extremely difficult. That's more than one word, but extremely difficult because I flew across many oceans to come into a world that was very different from the world I'd grown up in, which was uh, based in Eastern philosophy and at an age when I was just about to enter puberty. And then with a name like Dimple, that didn't really help me much um, when I came into to Toronto. And it was a difficult adjustment when people asked me to look back at my life and to share some of those milestones or highlights in my life, that would certainly be a pivoting time in my life. And the reason we came to Canada was because my father is an entrepreneur and I called him a businessman back then, but he really always put family first. And the reason that we left Taiwan to move to Canada was so that my brother and my sisters and I could have a better opportunity at education. And that was really the the uh, catalyst for that move um, so that we could have a future that my parents never had. So now you know about the sacrifice that they made, but back then, how was your relationship with your parents? And because I mean, every day you're dealing with the name Dimple and all the things that kids can be like, and you, you must have blamed your parents a little bit for that. You know, I did, although I, wouldn't even allow myself to go there. So I came from a very traditional Indian family where it was a bit patriarchal. I was one of three girls and I didn't know any better. So I think even though I might've felt some anger, I didn't recognize it as such. So I'd say the feeling was more submissive um, and having this sense of loss of control. So it wasn't as obvious as being angry, but it was just confusion, it was chaos. <laughs> So you're a young girl going through puberty with all the hormonal changes, new country, uh, traditional Eastern values compared with the new Canadian norms. It's like a pinball bouncing through a hundred bumpers. How did you navigate through that and, and prioritize when it comes to things like dating and it comes like uh, friendship and relationships and self-esteem and all the things that we try to, we, we hope form in our teen years. So I can't say that I did any of that until I got to university. It was a, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I wasn't allowed to date. So having male friends was out of the question. And I had a lot of female friends and generally within my community. So I actually went to um, a high school that was predominantly Jewish. So I felt pretty alienated there as well because I was a minority and uh, a girl of color. So it was a really um, hard time for me to adjust to. And I just, what I did during that time, Tony, was I started to journal. I started to write. I turned inwards. It was the only thing that I knew how to do. And until I was able to leave my family home to go to university, that's really how I became a little bit more familiar with myself. Did your parents worry you were an introvert and you weren't kind of the smiling kid that was in Taiwan that was, you know, always happy and stuff that suddenly you were just locked inside and scribbling away? You know, they didn't notice, to be honest, because my parents traveled a lot. We were actually raised by a lot of caregivers um, and some of them were very loving. So a huge influence in my life has been a caregiver who was like a father figure to me and he raised me. Um, but they were immigrants themselves. So as 
they I was adjusting. My parents were adjusting also. So even though I had friends in Toronto that were part of from my own culture, their parents had had time to adjust to to the Western ways of being, whereas my parents hadn't. So we were all growing together. Um, and it wasn't until university where I actually really was able to discover myself better. So you go off to university to take occupational therapy. Was that a tough sell at home? Was it tough for them to even understand what that was and what you wanted to do? So you're so right about that, Tony. I actually did not have to deal with that. My parents had put no academic pressures on myself, which is very different from my own peers and friends that whose parents had put that kind of pressure. So my parents actually had no expectations. They viewed the career in occupational therapy very positively because they were both um, individuals who hadn't had high levels of education. So for me to go to Queens and, you know, get gain entrance into a career where I had a future, they, they viewed that very positively. So you graduate and your, your world starts combining holistic and it sounds like it's sort of a cross-culture fusions happening. Tell me a little bit about your career coming out of university. I knew that I wanted to have a career in science, but not in medicine. And I knew I wanted to really bring a connection piece into my career where I would be connecting with other individuals and a service-oriented field, which now that I've done a lot of values tests and all kinds of personality tests, I know service is one of my top values. So I just stumbled upon occupational therapy in grade uh, 12, when there was grade 13 back in the day, I went into my guidance office and did a search and this came up and I was like, this sounds good. And I applied to go to OT and I got accepted to all the universities, which was great. It was a bit of a fight trying to leave home, not attend, you know, UFT and go to Queens because of my cultural and parental expectations. And I feel like I got really lucky. It's a field that I continue to work in today. Um, and it's provided me with skills to really help others also invite in wellness into their life. So it's a spectrum and I can work in illness or I can work in wellness. And I love working in both. Um, and I'm very happy with it. It's really interesting how you've got sort of Eastern, Western, uh, you know, wellness and illness. It's just it's 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 quite interesting. So you got I guess you got married fairly early after you left university. Yes, at age 22, almost 23. So I got married very young with very little life experience around dating and marriage um, and then had two children fairly quickly. And um, it didn't work out. So my marriage didn't work out. We were too young, I think. I think we're both good humans. We parent really well. And I'm pretty proud of that too. The co-parenting piece is going well. But we were just too young. I was too inexperienced. And I think when I look back and look at the way that I was raised, yes, on one hand, I had a beautiful childhood in a very safe and secure environment. But I was also privileged and overprotected and did not develop any strong resilience skills to really um, make educated and informed choices in my life, as well as um, build resilience skills. I want to take a second to give a shout out to RBC. RBC, your words matter to me. Since the very beginning, you sponsored my podcast, my posts, my videos. And together, we've looked for insights, ideas, and inspiration 
to help everyday Canadians and small business owners get to where they need and deserve to go. And not once have you asked for anything in return. And it's not just me. Look at Future Launch, a $500 million investment to help youth find and pursue their path in life. RBC, your words matter to me and to a lot of Canadians. So, you know, you're coming out with this degree, you're carrying this, it's something that I'm sure your entire family took great pride in. Marriage starts breaking up. It, it, that's again, this cross current that's happening because I have to believe that as your marriage is failing, in some ways that's almost cement on your feet because this is just when you want to start building who you are. How, how did you come to terms with that? It was hard. Again, I think um, the overlay in my entire life until this point has been how much of my cultural um, impositions as well as societal and how much they informed how I navigated my life. And it took a long time and a lot of personal work, to be quite honest, a lot of personal work by myself, but also with the support of therapists and coaches and mentors to really get me to the point where I started to believe in myself. And that's when the layers of self-doubt started um, dissolving. And when that happens, then you know you're in a great position to really honor your own truth and bring forward to the world, which is what we need more of. So I would, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not exaggerating because I know you're very, uh, you have a lot of humility because I've listened to some of your things, but you really are a healer. You're a gifted healer. Um, is there anybody in your lineage, grandparents or somebody that also had that skill? Because often I find healing gets passed from one generation, sometimes skips a few generations. But do you know of any way that or is it just something Are you the first? Yeah, I think I think, Tony, that's such an interesting point, because I do think of that often um, the archetype of a healer. And when I look back at my ancestors, unfortunately, a lot of the stories were not passed on or shared. And I do believe that all the matriarchs in our family and um, the lineage of women that I come from, that they were all healers. They were homemakers, they were nurturers. None of them actually worked outside of home, but they raised big families and they cared for the ill. So I really do believe there is that piece that has um, been passed on to me. And I love being a healer which also comes with its downsides as a nurturer, as an over-nurturer. But uh, yeah, that, that is a big part of, um, of who I am. And also the Eastern influence certainly helps with that as well. So as you start talking about taking command of who you are and going forward, what are you up to now and what's the path forward for you? Because there's so many different ways in which you can go. Have you started to really come to terms with what the next five years is going to be and, and where you think you're going to find that sort of North Star purpose? Yes, uh, it's a great question, Tony. I feel like I finally am in a position where I have a lot of clarity in my life and what I want to do. My first and foremost job is that of being a mother to my three sons. I feel like raising emotionally intelligent men in um, the world that we are is really important and it's a, it's a role that I take really seriously. And then secondly, I want to continue to be of service and I have two philosophies in my life. I believe that self-care, having a really rich self-care practice and strong connections add and contribute to wellness and health. And health is a, one of my top values because without health, as you know from our year that we've had, that nothing else is possible. So health is 
always remained a top priority for me. And what I love to do these days that I'm really excited about is helping people call in their word of the year. It is a practice that I've been engaging in for many years. And then I started having um, these home parties with my girlfriends. And now I actually teach it and facilitate workshop. And it's bringing in an element of wellness from a neuroscience perspective, but in a way that's fun, that's lively, that really elevates your life and also allows you to do the deep work that you need to do. So it's been something I'm really excited about building on. I love this idea of the word of the year and, and instead of New Year's resolutions and such, how would somebody engage with you so that they could not only declare their word, but actually chase it, pursue it, have their eyes shine and their hearts beat? Okay, so I, I love this question because I could go on all day, but I won't. So there are so many ways for people to call in a word. And what I spent all of last year doing is creating different ways that people can do that. They can do that on their own through a call in your word online program, which I just released. It's a do it yourself. It's eight modules. And because I love it so much, I wanted to make it accessible for people. Uh, so it's accessible for people who aren't able to attend in-person workshops. And on that note, I also do a calling a word annual workshop, which is typically when the energy is really high and people are really wanting to call in New Year's resolutions, but they don't work. So this word of the year has been working beautifully for many people so they can attend it live. I have a Live Your Word community. It's a year-long membership program. We meet monthly and there are all kinds of ways that we join hands together to live our words. And the beautiful piece about having a word, as you know, Tony, we're doing that right now, is to be able to see yourself and other people's words and share stories around it because you can go deeper much faster. Do you find that stories, because a lot of what I've read and seen about you is you really use stories as almost this Trojan horse to, to let people open up. And, and, and you always and you talk often about your willingness to share your stories as part of that currency. Is, is that really the power of stories to you? It is. Uh, one of my mentors, virtual mentors, online mentors is Brene Brown. She talks about the power of vulnerability. And in order for us to form deep connections and to create change and move forward, vulnerability is a big part of that. And that's why I love stories so much as a vehicle to really get forward into in, in your life and also to build those rich connections. So I'm chatting with uh, Dimple Mukherjee. She's, uh, uh, I call her a healer, but what is the best way for people to get hold of you? The best way is to either go on my website, which is dimplemukherjee.com or follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. I try to pick one social media medium of choice. And for now it's, it's Instagram, which is at uh, dimple underscore Mukherjee. Perfect. I'll make sure those things are all posted for anybody that, doesn't understand how these podcasts are produced. We actually see each other, although I'm only recording the audio. And I wish you could see Dimple because she radiates. But she's talking about giving and healing and caring and providing and this community. This, her smile is just fabulous. Your, your eyes, everything about you truly is uh, a, a great healer. And I hope that people will listen to this podcast and just take away uh, – couple of things that really struck home is the sense of the power of vulnerability that we have to be vulnerable if we're going to open our mind to uh to self-improvement and, and to pursue uh the second thing is this having a, a word of the year 
and and I love the fact that you've declared it. Somebody can just do it, but also you've, you've, you've turned it into something that people can go on a journey for a year and really do a journey of discovery. And I guess the final thing that I, I love as, a, as being a parent is you hold them in so high regard, even though they took that smiling kid out of Taiwan at age 12 and thrust him into a, a school with caregivers and everything else that you still uh, have never lost that beautiful, uh, beautiful heart. So thank you so much for joining me on that chat of the matters. Thank you, Tony. So nice to be here. You've been listening to Chatter That Matters. Download Chatter That Matters wherever you get your podcast or follow me at chatterthatmatters.ca or on Twitter at, at Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.